Our key scripture this morning is going to come from the book of Hosea. It's going to jump around a little bit. If you uh, would like to, you're welcome to open your Bibles there. But before we read uh, our key scripture this morning, there's, there's a couple things we need to go back over just to put what we're going to see this morning into perspective. <clears throat> if you remember from where we've been in the story the last several weeks, um, the northern king, the, the kingdom split into two uh, separate pieces. You had Israel in the north, and you had Judah in the south. And um, Jeroboam, who was the king in the north, uh, took people in the wrong direction. He created a copycat religion that looked a lot like what God was doing, but wasn't what God was doing. He even uh, made these golden calves and told the people that it was the golden calves that brought them out of Egypt. And they entered into this period where they had several uh, evil kings and queens that led them. Uh, they, they took up not only... Uh, worship of the Baals and the Asherah, but they started doing things like even sacrificing their children to the gods. There were temple prostitutes. There were all kinds of things that were going wrong at the time. And so God had to figure out a way to try to speak to his people during the midst of this. And so he called prophets to go and to speak on behalf of God to his people. And the prophets filled a, a very important role. Number one, they were the only people around that were listening to God. They're the only ones that would recognize his voice, and they're the only ones that would go. And they would go and speak for his people. But you know, sometimes, well, most of the time, really, when the prophets went and spoke to the people of God, the people just ignored them. And so God had to become increasingly creative with how he tried to speak to them. Whether it was sending signs, whether it was... Um, giving his uh, the prophets special powers or different things, or whether it was asking the prophets to live out the message in a certain way. And that happens uh, in a remarkable way in the book of Hosea, where God actually asks Hosea to live out in his own life the message that he wants his people to hear. So this comes from uh, the book of Hosea. We'll be, uh, like I said, jumping around a little bit from uh, chapter 1 to chapter 3. But here's our key scripture for this morning. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. They had three children, and after they had three children, Gomer ran away from home again, and Hosea was instructed to go find her. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. There are a lot of things that are remarkable to me about this story. It's remarkable what God called Hosea to do, and we are going to look at that in a lot greater detail later this morning. 
But there's something I want you to realize about this. God is desperate to get his people to listen to him. And God will do anything he can just to get the message out to them that he loves them and that if they will return to him, he will take them back again. I want you to think about that for a moment. That these people who have rejected God over and over again, that God could sit back, he could wash his hands of them, he could say he's totally done with them, and yet what does he do? He tries to come at them from every angle so that there is, there is no chance that they could have missed what he wants for them and how much he loves them. It is this same God who calls for so much from his prophets, who reaches out in so many ways, who stays with his people that decides to send his son Jesus to this place. That through Jesus living and dying and raising again, we might have life. Church, there is nowhere we can go that is outside the reach of our God. And there's nothing we can do that will get him to stop trying. To show us, to say the words, to do the thing that will soften our hearts, open our ears and our eyes so that we can hear and see him. And that is good news. Amen? I uh, I love movies. I love to read, too. Um, although I, I've been having a hard time finding books that are really keeping my attention recently. You know, I'll start something and then put it down, and then it has dust on it uh, before you know it. But, but I do love movies. And one of the things that I really like about movies is that a good movie has the ability to draw you into uh, a world or a situation that maybe you never imagined you would be in. Um, and and it's, it's all sorts of things, depending on what your interests are and, and what you like. And, and a good movie can put you into a place sometimes that you don't know and could never understand. So sometimes that's really fun, right? You could, if you enjoy the Star Wars movies, you know, it's fun to, to get into that. If you enjoy action movies where people are, you know, driving cars around like crazy and, you know, jumping off of buildings and that sort of stuff, you get to sort of live vicariously through these characters in that moment and you feel like you're there with them. Uh, but one such movie that, ha- that does the same thing but is very different is the movie Schindler's List, right? Um, it is a movie that is on so many top ten lists, and yet it is not a movie that people really enjoy watching. It's one of those, it's so good, it says so many things, but I don't really want to watch it more than once. And if you're ever flipping around and it's on TV, you might turn it on for like a minute and then it gets to a part that you don't like and then it's time to move on, right? Because watching Schindler's List is something that can really define the tone of your day. Um, And the movie shows us just what it was like to live through the Holocaust. And you almost feel like you're drawn right in uh, to see what the whole experience was like. Uh, You may not know this, but Steven Spielberg didn't want to make the film. 
Uh, he was he was sort of against the idea of making it, and part of his reluctance reluctance to make it was that he didn't feel like he was mature enough to tackle this kind of subject, that it was just a little over uh, his limit. So he tried to recruit other directors to make the film. He offered the film uh, to Roman Polanski, who is a Holocaust survivor and thought that he could bring sort of a unique look to it. He also offered it to uh, Sidney Pollack, and finally he offered it to Martin Scorsese who accepted. Can you imagine Schindler's List by Martin Scorsese? It's, it would be a completely different movie. But somehow, and I'd be really interested to know more about this happened, while Spielberg was filming the movie Hook, he had some sort of epiphany, and he decided that he had to make uh, Schindler's List. And so he actually traded movies with Scorsese. Uh, Spielberg was going to make Cape Fear, so he gave him Cape Fear, and Spielberg went on to make uh, Schindler's List. But the making of the film was really difficult for everyone. Um, both Spielberg and the cast members, they interviewed Holocaust survivors, they were at some of the actual places where things, where these things happened, because they wanted to make the movie as authentic as possible. Um, and, and Spielberg said that the scene where um, the Jewish prisoners were forced to strip naked for medical exams was the most traumatic day of his entire career. And he also revealed that two Israeli actresses who participated in the gas chamber shower scene um, basically couldn't do anything else for the next three days because they had mental and emotional breakdowns after having to go through that. And so, you might have heard this recently because it's kind of come out, Robin Williams would call Steven Spielberg at least once a week. And he would just do a 15-minute comedy set in uh, Steven Spielberg's phone. He wasn't in the phone, but through the phone. <coughs> just to sort of help Spielberg get through the making of this movie. Um, so, if it was so hard and it was so difficult and it was so awful and none of us really enjoy watching it, why does this movie matter? Because it needs to be told. It needs to be seen and it needs to be experienced. And something that Schindler's List did, uh, which, again, a good movie does this, is it takes something that we know about. So we've all heard about the Holocaust, we studied it in school, but we had never seen it like this. We had never been run through the whole gamut of emotions as much as we were horrified by what we had read and learned. This was something on a completely different level where you were drawn in to this moment in time and it was an awful experience as much as you learned and grew and saw things through it. Well, we find ourselves in the story in a pretty awful time. God wanted his people to return to him. He wanted them to be in relationship with him. But his people were basically, as we talked about last week, they were gone. They had left. And for generations, they had not come back to God. But God wanted them to come back. And so in order to try to reach them, he couldn't, he couldn't just turn them, so he sent prophets out to go and to speak to them. And last week, we looked at the prophet Elijah and how he went out and he challenged uh, the prophets of Baal 
and how they had this big showdown on the mountain and how God showed powerfully that he was there and that he was the one true God. And they come down from the mountain and it didn't change anything in the lives of the people. And I don't know how you feel about that, but it's a pretty kind of amazing moment for me to see that and to see that when God shows himself in such a miraculous and amazing way that it still doesn't really change the hearts of the people. Even though they said, this is God, this is the one true God, they go back home and they're not getting rid of their idols. They're not, they don't stop going to worship these other gods and it doesn't change the heart of the people. The people won't listen. Maybe it's because their ears are closed and they don't. The words are just not getting through. And they're not seeing the signs because their eyes are covered. And they can't see and therefore they're missing the whole story. They're missing everything that God is trying to tell them. They're missing everything that God is trying to show them. And the poor prophets, let's just... Let's just have some sympathy on the prophets for them. Uh, their job, basically, is to go to the people of Israel and to tell them, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. You need to stop that entirely. And if you do all these things and come back and beg God for forgiveness, then God will take you back. I don't know about you, but I personally love being told everything I'm doing wrong. It's one of my favorite, favorite moments when someone approaches me and says, hey, I think you should change this about yourself. It's not a job that really endears you to people, being a prophet. And so as much as the message of the prophet is important, it's not sinking in. Because the people don't want to hear about what they have to change about themselves. So God can keep sending messengers and keep sending people to tell them what they need to do and how they need to do it. And he does that. But in this story that we're looking at this morning, the story of Hosea, God decides that he's going to take a slightly different tact. If his words aren't breaking through, if his mighty signs aren't breaking through, then God is going to have someone live out the situation that they are in. So that maybe... By having someone live out the situation they are in, they will finally see and understand and turn back to him. So this morning, I'm going to tell you the story of Hosea, but perhaps as he would have told it to you. So, it's hard to explain how the whole thing started. I guess the first thing that you should know about me is that I am a servant of God. I have done my best my whole life to follow God's commands and to honor him in everything that I do. And because of my commitment to God, God was faithful to me. He would speak to me and he would give me messages for his people. A lot of times these messages were telling them that they needed to change things about themselves, and so not surprisingly, this didn't make me the most popular person in town. Because you know this is true. We love to hear from God when he wants to bless us and tell us everything is going to be okay. But when things start going wrong, it's an entirely different story. I want to be clear about one other thing. I mean, yes, I'm committed to God, and I want to do everything that God wants me to do, but I also would like to accomplish some things in my own life as well. I mean, I have dreams just like everyone else has. 
I want to have a family. I want to have children. I want to have a wife that loves God as much as I do. Family is so important to my people. I mean, I know it's important to you too, but it's important to us in such a distinct way because it's through family that we carry on our children. They take care of us. We own land together. It's just the whole system is supported by family. And I just have to be honest with you that if if I don't have a wife or children, I'm going to end up alone, which I already feel like I'm going to be because I'm already unpopular with everyone. But God had a plan for me, and it was a plan that was very difficult for me to want to follow or understand. He wanted me to get married. He wanted me to have children. But he didn't want me to marry the woman of my dreams. Instead, he sent me in a different direction altogether. Her name is Gomer. And Gomer is beautiful. No one has ever questioned her beauty. She couldn't walk down the street without men stopping what they were doing just to look at her. Every man wanted her, and every man wanted the pleasure that they believed she could bring to them. So men stared, and you know what happens when men stare at a beautiful woman? Women whisper. Everyone knew or at the very least suspected the worst about her. There was talk about all the men that she had been with. There was talk about the kind of life she lived. And God, in his great and infinite wisdom, spoke to me, the person who loves him maybe more than anyone else in the land, and said, I want you to go and marry Gomer. Now surely this is not what God had designed. I mean, maybe I misunderstood him. But God made it clear that Gomer was the woman that I was supposed to marry. And so I sought out to make Gomer my wife. And when people found out about what I was trying to do, they thought that I was a fool. I mean, you should have, you should have heard the things that people said about her, the things that people said about me. How can you marry someone who has been a prostitute? How can you marry someone that doesn't care anything about herself or about other people? Do you know where she's been? Do you know what she's like? And then they have the audacity to throw this one at me. These people that don't care about God, I thought you were a man of God. So how could you tie yourself to such, to such an awful woman? I tried to explain to them that God was telling me to do this so that they would learn something. And so I gave them these words. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And because of this, the land dries up and all who live in it waste away. The, the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, they're all swept away. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. 
The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. Well, let's be honest. I mean, that's a pretty good comeback if anyone's going to pick on me. But it was hard on the streets. I, and this is, I, you need to understand something about me. When you're living amongst the people who don't care about God and you do care about God, how you live and what you do and the choices that you make matter. And I'm just going to be completely honest with you. I'm proud of the way that I live my life. Because it's not easy loving God in a culture that doesn't support you and that tears you down because of it. And this thing that God was asking me to do, which I wanted to do because I love God, was so difficult. And to hear then people question my commitment to God, and if I loved Him and if I knew what I was doing, it just made things so hard. And then every day I had to come home to Gomer, to the life that we were making together. And, I mean, look. It was hard knowing where she had been and having an inkling of where she would go. And I struggled to come home every day because besides all of that, besides the life that she had, that she had lived, Gomer didn't love me. She didn't love me. And would she really be any different as my wife than she was when she was just out there living whatever life she wanted to live? And I, wouldn't sure, I wasn't sure how I would handle this. I mean, going home to this person that you don't trust, that you know doesn't love you, and that really you're only married to because God told you to do this. And if I was smart, I would have just gone home and kept my distance. But I'm not smart. And so I tried to interact with her. There's something I want you to know. I was not put into this relationship with Gomer by God in order to punish her. I was not there to preach to her every day, to show her how unworthy she was. God wanted something more from me than that. I didn't know this at the time, as I was struggling with my own feelings, but God wanted something more from this. And if I was going to live in this marriage relationship with Gomer, I was going to have to be the man and husband that God expected me to be, and this was maybe the most difficult part of all, and it's for this reason. There are certain things that once you know them or experience them, you can't unknow them. And so, was I going to be able to look past the fact that she was everything that I didn't want, both for myself and for my life? Could I trust her if she had proven herself untrustworthy? Could I expect her to be something different than what she was if she had always been this thing? But we're pretty good at telling ourselves what we need to to get by. And so I go home and I resolve that I would get to know her and to be her husband as much as I could be 
And here is what I discovered by reaching out to her. Truthfully, she didn't want to tell me about herself. She did not want me to know what she had done and more accurately what I had ignored what had been done to her. Which made me realize, and this is a weird thing to say, but I hadn't seen things this way before. Gomer was not born a sinful woman. When she was a little girl, she never envisioned that she would be living this kind of life. And somehow along the way, she had grown to become this way. And sometimes we would sit down and she would tell me that as far back as she could remember, she had been placed into position as the object of men's desire. And she didn't see how she could stop being that person. She didn't know how to act any differently than the way that she had always been taught or told that she was. It was kind of mind-blowing to me because I couldn't imagine growing up that way. I just I had a completely different experience than she did. And it was like she genuinely didn't know that she could be better than she was, that she could make different decisions. In her mind, she believed everything that everyone ever said about her. So why fight it? And out of this knowledge about who she was, two very surprising things happened. Number one, I felt pity for her. Just months before, I would never have felt sorry for this woman. You know how it is, right? You see someone who's made bad choices, who's doing bad things, and what do you want to tell them? Hey, dummy, make better choices. Stop doing stupid things. We look at people who are down and out, and what do we think? Well, why don't you just change it? And for the first time in my life, I realized... Maybe it's not so simple that maybe coming from someone who has been given every opportunity to be good, maybe I don't understand what it means for someone to to be brought up to fail. When we would walk down the street and I would see the way that people would look at us, that they would look at her, I knew what they were thinking, and I knew that she felt every look and every thought, and it started to make me angry. I realized that she would never be able to change if someone did not give her the opportunity, if someone did not reach out to her. She needed to believe that she could be better, which led to another weird thing that I didn't expect. I started to love her. I know that it seems crazy because how could I fall in love with this woman? But the truth is that she needed someone to love her. She needed someone who valued her. She needed someone to believe that she could be redeemed because she didn't understand it on her own. She was sure that I was out to use her just like everyone else. She just knew that I wanted to control her and own her just like every other man she had ever met. And why would she expect anything different from me? when she's never seen it before. 
So I worked extra hard so that she would know she had value, that she was not what everyone else said she was. And it was a shocking thing to realize that someone doesn't know what it feels like to be loved and accepted for who they are. She didn't know how to give love. She didn't know how to receive love. And so I tried my hardest. And it wasn't easy, but our family began to take shape. Let me tell you something about our family. It's a weird family. I know you think your family is weird. You're probably right. But we were trying here, this thing that neither of us had really had before. And it was a struggle. I I could see in her eyes that she wasn't totally buying into this act, but she was trying. And so we started a family and we had children together. Now, remember... God is using this story. God called me into this to teach other people things. So my children, and this is not fair to them, but my children were to be a constant reminder of the danger that waited around the corner in our relationship. And so God named them. Um, My first son was named Jezreel. Uh, And this is a place that was considered a place of slaughter. The Valley of Jezreel. It was where a man who wanted to become king assassinated the then current king and killed everyone else so that they would not say anything about it. And so God had me name my first son Jezreel just so that when everyone heard the name, they would be reminded of the awful things that have been in their past. That's pretty bad. Um, Not as bad as what we named my first daughter. Her name was not loved. For God would not love or forgive Israel from their sins, though he would forgive Judah. And it was a little bit after we had our second child that Gomer started to change a little bit. You know, she'd been, she'd been playing along, she'd been buying in, but then there was just something that happened to her. And I can't really explain what it is, but it was like if she was pretending before, she was really pretending now. She would disappear for periods of time and I wouldn't know where she was. She would come home and sit across from me and act like everything was okay. She would smile this hollow, cheap smile. She would lay next to me at night, never saying where she had been and what she had been doing. And if I asked her, she would just leave the room. And... I was so angry and I was so hurt because I had done so much to try to create this relationship with her. And now she's just like, what is she doing? Where is she going? And she wouldn't tell me. And she wouldn't tell me what she was doing. And she wanted me, I think, to accuse her so that she could tell me about all the things that I was not giving her. So I could tell her about all the ways that I had let her down. Me, the guy who pulled her out of the darkest place, that gave her food and shelter and all the love that I had. And this just spirit of resentment settled on our home. And the names of our children were just ringing out. And she got pregnant again. And the name that God gave this child was not my people. For these people would never be gods again. So we would walk down the street 
my wife and I completely angry with each other, calling to Jezreel, not loved and not my people. Get back here, not my people. Yeah. I tried to keep my head up. Maybe there's some change that is possible. Maybe Gomer did not have to be what everyone else said she was. Maybe we could be a family if she would just turn away from her past and embrace the future that I offered her, then anything was possible. A word from the Lord. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their hearts. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumbled in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. Gomer's disappearances became more and more frequent, but she would always come back. I tried not asking too many questions because it just was too hard. I tried to just let her know that I was worried. I tried to to trust God, and then one day Gomer didn't come home. I waited up for her, but she never showed. I went out and walked around the neighborhood just to make sure she was okay, that she wasn't like lying in an alley somewhere, but I couldn't find her. I waited all night. And the next day. And all the next night. And the next day. And she wasn't coming back. I was I was so <sighs> We have moments in our lives where things just seem to come into shocking clarity. Maybe you've had one of those moments, maybe you haven't, but I was so hurt because I was trying to give her this kind of life that was so much better than the one that she had had, and she was just gone. And what about our children? What about all of this? And she just wasn't there. And one moment I was breaking limbs off a tree and throwing rocks against the wall, and the next moment I was huddled on the ground crying my eyes out and asking God, God, why would you put me in this place? What could possibly be gained by me having this kind of experience? And I wanted her to hurt. I'm not proud of this. But I was suffering and I wanted her to suffer. I wanted her to be miserable. I wanted her to know that she really was trash. That she had hurt me in a way that she could never take back. I wanted her to know that what everyone said about her was absolutely right. And at the same time, I just wanted her to walk back down the street so I could go grab her and bring her home so I wouldn't have to tell the kids why she's not there. I could not help that, as fake as it may have seemed, we had something together. It turns out that everyone knew where she was. I had just been afraid to ask. She had gone back to the life that she knew before, She had left someone that, as limited as I am, that loved her as best as I could and put herself back into the chains that she had worn her whole life. 
And she was a slave once again. And when I heard that, I couldn't feel any worse than I did at that moment. A word from the Lord. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. And that is when God spoke to me again. And he told me to do something that I almost couldn't believe. He told me to go and get Gomer. He told me to go and claim her as my wife. He said that I had let her suffer long enough that I had to go get her. And he said, and this is something that I never understood before, that I would know by doing this how much he loves his people. And so you would not believe this, but I went to the place where she was living and I bought my wife back. It cost me 15 shekels of silver and 430 pounds of barley. And she was afraid when I brought her home and she was afraid of what I might do to her, but here is what I told her. I said, you are my wife and you will always be my wife. You are no longer a slave or a woman of adultery. Leave all that behind and live your life with me and only me. And even though you hurt me, I will never give up on you. And I will buy you back again and again. I said that because I realized something. I realized that if I did not love her, if I did not show her grace and mercy, then the truth of the matter is she would never know it. Because there was nowhere else, no one else from whom she could find love. And in that moment, my heart broke I could not help but want to take her into my arms and let her know that I would never let her go. And that, finally, is when it happened. Remember, I'm the guy that speaks for God. I'm the guy that knows God. I'm the guy that tells people what God wants. But I didn't realize what God was saying until that point. God is just like me. Much better. But he's like me in this story. And you, his people, are like Gomer. God walked into this relationship knowing exactly what he was getting into. He knew just what you were like, and yet he walked in and he offered you a better life. He married you and took you into his home. He treated you with love and respect. But the truth is that it was never enough for you. Your eyes were always looking for more. And the moment the next shiny God came into view, you would disappear for a few hours. Then you would crawl back home. But in spite of this, God always took you back. He was hurt. He was angry. How could he not be? 
But he always took you back. But listen to how you chose to repay him. You would leave for longer periods of time. You would spend more time away from him, less time with him, until finally one day you just wouldn't go back at all. You jump ship. You forget all about him. You sell yourself into slavery. Forgetting all that God has to offer you, embracing the chains of sins and these other gods who are nothing. And in those moments, God has let you go. But I want you to know that God comes back and gets you. That if you will just turn back to him, he comes and pays for you and buys you back and restores you to his house. He gives you the life that you don't deserve. Because he loves you and he knows that nothing, no one, no God can love you like he does. So what is my story about? This story that God has called me into. It is a story of hurt. It's a story of betrayal. It's a story of all of us at our worst moments, but that is not really what the story about, because you see, this story is a story of redemption. You may not know this, but my name, names mean a lot in this story. My name, Hosea, means salvation. I stayed in relationship with Gomer so that I could save Gomer. I did not give her up. I pursued her and brought her back. I paid for her again and again. When everything around her gave up on her, I refused to because there was no place too far that my wife could go that I would not bring her back. And if you will but turn to God, you are not too far away. A word from the Lord. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never say again, our gods to what our hands have made. For in you... The fatherless find compassion. People of God, hear my words. God loves you relentlessly and faithfully. But you cannot treat him like he does not matter. You cannot just use him when you need him for something and forget about him when you don't. But when you run away, he will pursue you. And when you think that you are too far, you're not. And when you believe that there is no way God could love you, he does. Because out of the two of us in this relationship, us and God, there is only one party whose eyes are fully opened. The God who knows what he's getting into. The God who has been hurt but the God who relentlessly loves his people.
you can be his people again. So I took a few liberties. But the beauty of the story of Hosea is that it was a living example. We have to be drawn into the moment to see what's going on. And here's what's amazing. Church, God does not stop with having someone live his example. God does not stop when his people are away in captivity, when they don't even remember what the law is. God doesn't stop when they reclaim themselves and they come back to him. God doesn't give up when his people take what he's given them and turn it into something it was never supposed to be. We know where this story is going. That God does not stop pursuing. And we know that God pays the price for us. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus, God pays the price for us. He buys us out of slavery. He brings us from death to life. Amen? And therefore, this story is our story. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the way that you work and move around us. Father, we are grateful for the fact that you pursue us. For God, we are like Gomer, where we turn away so many times. Where we leave you so many times. Where we forget about you over and over again. But you are the God who pursues us. And God, you call us into relationship with you. May we not choose chains over the freedom that you offer us. Thank you for loving us, unlike anything else we can experience. And Father, no matter how far away, may we turn around and run back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need any prayers uh, this morning, encouragement, if you want to know God who loves you in an amazing way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together. Lord, I come.